Great passage of scripture, Acts chapter number eight in your Bibles, and let's go there real quickly. And just a reminder, we're studying right now, uh, hitting the high points of the book of Acts. We're not going verse by verse, but seeing lessons we can learn from the early church, what we can learn in the church of 2021. There's a lot of things that uh, we need to change about us. I love the word of God because it changes us. And we need to change. We need to be reprogrammed in our mind. The Bible says we ought to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I'm looking forward to sharing this thought. It's a great passage of Scripture. But as you look at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus goes up to live with his Father until it's time to come and get us. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down and fills the believers with his presence and his power. Then the people go out. At first, they just go out among Jerusalem and the Judean area. And, uh, but then people start coming to Christ. 3,000 people get saved and baptized on an individual day. Later on, and God begins to give miracles, and the miracles and the signs were primarily setups. Setups for people to hear the gospel of Christ, and they were for the Jewish people first and foremost. The Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians that the Jews require a sign. One of the things that the Jewish people needed, they needed to have a miracle so they would listen. You might remember when Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, who was a staunch Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, a leader there. He was a teacher of the, of the Jewish people. When he said that we know that you're a teacher come from God, why? Because no man can do these miracles that you're doing unless God really be with him. And that's what made him listen. Well, there was a series of events that took place, especially for the Jewish people there in the early church. But God wasn't just concerned about the Jewish people. and He wasn't just concerned about Jerusalem and Judea. He wanted them to go to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But they got kind of happy just staying close. And so the Lord used the persecution of a fellow named Saul, who, first of all, uh, was responsible with the other people with him to take the life of the first deacon of the church, Stephen. And when that deacon got uh, murdered there that day, and, and devout men carried his body off and buried him and, and had no embarrassment or shame and were brave and courageous and said, look, this wasn't supposed to happen. and We're going to grieve over him. But uh, those who were adversarial to the early church said, you know, there's other guys like this out there too. And so now they started going door to door trying to find others. Well, Philip was another one of those deacons and leaders of the early church. And so they took them, he took Philip, and they were looking for him, I'm sure. And Philip moved himself, maybe his wife and his four daughters that we know he had, and he put them into Samaria. He moved on the other side of the tracks. He moved into the hood as far as a concern there. It was all good in the hood <laughs> because there people began to hear the gospel. They were Samaritans. They were not like the Jews. As a matter of fact, the Jews had no relation with the Samaritans. They were not very amiable. There was a huge amount of bias and prejudice going on. But, but Philip moved into there, and boy, God brought a revival. We've been studying that over the last few weeks, a little bit of that. You can see the, a pattern in the early church. Prayer brought power. Power brought soul winning and preaching. Preaching brought persecution. Because that devil will not be happy for a soul winning Christian or a soul winning church. So he stirs up problem. And persecution brought more prayer. 
And prayer brought more power, and power brought more preaching and getting the gospel out, and preaching brought more persecution. You can see the cycle happen over and over again, and it has not stopped to this very moment. Anytime some of the greatest attacks against the church usually happen right before important precipices before a youth conference or before a missions conference, or and I call it negative confirmation. <laughs> negative things that happen to confirm that God is doing a work in our lives. And I'm glad for that, even though I don't like it at all. And we ought to pray that Satan is rebuked in this ministry in any place where the gospel of Christ is being uh, done. That's why we pray for missionaries, because each of them have unique if they're out there doing what God wants them to do, there are some obstacles they're facing, and it's satanic in nature. And it attacks their family, it attacks their disposition, their determination. We ought to pray and intercede for them in difficult times, for sure. Well, Philip has led many of these Samaritans, hundreds of them are coming to Christ. Matter of fact, John and, and uh, Peter come up to confirm the fact that they are saved, and God is saving Samaritans, and they leave going to other Samaritan villages and telling people about Jesus there, so excited about what God did right smack in the middle of the area of Samaritans. They went to other places. Now the Bible changes, and he's going to go from the Samaritans to the other parts of the earth in a very unique way. Of course, when Jesus went back to heaven, Acts chapter 8, he said, you shall receive what? Power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses, Jesus said. Both simultaneously in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But up until this time, they had now several years have gone by. I don't know if it's four years or five years or six years. It looks like about 12 years after the, uh, Jesus went back to heaven, they, they, they killed the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, James. So that hasn't happened yet. That's going to happen later in, our, in the book of Acts. So never years have gone by. A lot of good things have happened. A lot of troubles have taken place, but God's been victorious. But they had not yet left that region to get the gospel out. Now the Holy Spirit is at work. And the angel of the Lord or the messenger of the Lord comes to Philip in the middle of this revival in Samaria and gives him a very odd command. Look at it, if you would, please, in verse number 26. The Bible says this, Acts chapter 8, and verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, into Gaza, which is desert. Maybe you could look at your Bible maps later. Don't do it right now. We're trying to preach this morning, all right? So don't go to studying that right now. Look at it later. But he's in Samaria, and he says, I need you to go down south, next to the body of water there, it's on the left outside of Jerusalem, and I want you to go down south in toward the desert area, which is Gaza. Well, it kind of didn't make sense. He didn't know what was going to happen. All he knew is he had provocation from the messenger of God to leave those people in Samaria and go out into the desert, not knowing what he would do. Now, may I just say to you, sometimes God is going to ask you to do things by faith. And all you'll have to go on is a word from God and a prompting from God. You won't know if I should witness this person, but the Spirit of God is telling you witness to them. You say, no, they got tattoos all over them. They, they got so much piercing. It looked like it's a Mr. T, uh, Mr. T kit going on there, you know. I don't think they're going to take my track. God may ask you to do something that doesn't make sense to you. And he says, I want you to go out to the desert. Well, look what happened, if you would please. Verse 27, are you looking there? The Bible says that he arose and what? So he didn't argue. He just submitted. 
He arose and he went out to the desert. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasure, and he had come. He had come to Jerusalem for to worship and was returning, sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. So we find here that he goes out to the desert and he sees that going across the North African highway, there is an entourage, probably. A man is sitting in the middle of his chariot or his stagecoach, and then he probably has horses and guards in front of him, behind him, to protect him from any highway thieves. But this guy's not the average guy. He's Ethiopian. He's an African man. He is in charge. He's a eunuch, which means he would not procreate. He would not have a wife. He would not have children. His job was to take care of the treasure, the money, and the possessions of his queen, Candace. She was the queen. He was his, her treasurer. And he was going back. He had come to Jerusalem for the worship. Probably a proselyte. Probably someone who, um, who had money. He had a position. But he had an emptiness in his heart. So he said, I'm going to go over to Jerusalem, and I'm going to figure out what's going on over there. And maybe he had converted to Judaism. We don't know. But I believe he's an African man. The Bible tells us that. He, he serves his queen. And we don't have his name, but we have his queen's name. And uh, he serves her. And now he has been to Jerusalem searching for answers, and he leaves an empty man. He doesn't have his answers. But he's got enough money to buy a Bible. Now, for you and I to buy a Bible, we can go to the bookstore and buy one for as cheap as $5 or get one for $50 or $100, depending upon what leather you want or what have you, and we get the entire Bible. Well, to get a Bible in that day, there was no printing press. Someone had to write it out. I'm sure it wasn't a cheap acquisition, but he went and at least got the copy of a, of a chapter of Bible or a book of the Bible, Isaiah. And he finds himself, he's reading the book of Isaiah on a scroll, most likely, sitting in the back of his chariot while someone else is running his horses and pulling away. And the Bible says he, that Philip sees this guy, and he says, here's what happens next. Let's look and see who gets involved. Who gets involved in verse 29? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip did what? He got in a hurry. He went over there. And he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? So it would be like running up to a modern-day motor coach, okay, and banging on the Suburban. There's a, there's a dignitary going here, and, and he's out in the desert, has nothing to go by except for God told him to leave the revival and go out to the desert. He goes out there and he sees this man running across there and reading something. And he hears him reading. He must be reading out loud. But he's reading it. And the Holy Spirit says, go over there and talk to that man. Join yourself to that chariot. Go, find, go, go right to the chariot. Talk to that guy. And the Bible says that Philip ran. He went over there and he began an, a discussion with him. Let's see what he asked him. Can we look at it if you would please? The next verse is verse number... 30, he ran thither, and he asked the man, Understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand what you're reading in the, in, the, in the scriptures? And here's what the man said. How can I? Except some man should. He says, are you kidding? How can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? No, I don't understand it. 
I don't even know how anyone would understand it. I mean, I can read good, but, but what is trying to be said, I, I just don't get it. I can't connect the dots. He said, how can I understand that someone guides me? Look, if you would please. And the Bible says, and he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. He said, you understand it? He said, absolutely. He said, well, get over here. Stop. Get up here on with, this, with me on this chariot. Get in the stagecoach with me and explain to me what's going on here. So Philip joins him riding in the chariot. Look, if you would please, the next verse, the Bible says, verse 32, and the place of the scripture which he was read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shears. And so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment is taken away. Who shall declare this generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, come on, man, tell me of whom speaketh the prophet of this, of himself or some other man. So as he, uh, that, that part about come on, man, that's not in the Bible. That was just me. He said, now, he said, how, who is this guy talking about? Where he was reading is Isaiah chapter 53. If we had time this morning, it would be a great place for all of us to read. Oh, giving someone Isaiah 53 would be like today giving someone John and Romans to read or a gospel track. It was, it was the gospel in the Old Testament telling that the innocent had to die for the guilty. And that innocent one was Jesus, who had great power but yielded his power and was, was killed by a lesser. He allowed it. Jesus said, no man taketh my life, I Lay it down. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man would lay down his life for his friend. So he is reading the Old Testament gospel track of Isaiah 53, and as he reads it, he sees that it's like a lamb that just stands there and lets the person take all of his wool off of him without a fight. Or an ox that sees his buddy get killed. Moo, oh, you know, and then he goes and he moves right in there. And gets killed himself. He doesn't fight the, the death. Or it's like a prisoner that goes to court and he is guilty and yet he lets uh, the judge, lets the prisoner judge him. He humbles himself and takes away his judgment and lets someone else judge him. And when he reads this in the Bible, he says, sir, who is he talking about? Is he talking about Isaiah, the guy that's writing? Is he talking about him? Or is he talking about somebody else? I don't get who the person is. Then notice what, what, what Philip does. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Verse 35, read it out loud with me, would you please? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him. Aren't you glad? Philip said, now let me tell you who that is. That's Jesus. He's the lamb that lays down his life. He's the innocent who dies for us, the guilty. He paid for our sin, and he is the one who doesn't, he has the control over all the universe, but he lets the universe hurt him so that you could have. He's the one who was separated from his father, so you and I wouldn't have to be separated from him. It's Jesus, sir. And he begins to talk to him about Jesus. By the way, every witnessing opportunity should get a fast track to Jesus. I love the church, but the church can't save anybody. I think you should love your Sunday school teacher and love your spiritual leaders, but they don't save anybody. Make sure you tell people about Jesus. He said, this is Jesus that did this. Look, if you would, please, the rest of the chapter, if you would. And verse number 36. 
And as they went on their way, they came to certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So as they're riding the chariot, he witnesses him about Christ. I don't know if the eunuch saw other people getting baptized in Jerusalem. He might have been even introduced to Christ, but it just didn't make sense to him. He didn't do it. But he did see probably people getting baptized. And he kind of wondered, what's going on with that? But once he understood it was Jesus that was Savior, he said, hey, Philip, there's a water, there's an oasis, there's a creek, there's a river, there's a, the side of the, uh, the, 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 the sea, of the body of water we're going by. There's water up here. What stops me from being baptized? He asked that question. Now, this is a very important thing. We here at First Baptist Church, in English, we only use the King James Version of the Bible. And we believe if it's not broken, you shouldn't fix it. We believe things that are different are not the same. I understand there are sweet people who do not agree with that. But if you have other versions of the Bible, you're going to find, and I like the King's Version because it has all the verses in it. If you look at a new international version or other version of the Bible, you're going to see the next verse is not in that Bible. You're going to, they're going to skip over verse number 37. And I think it's an important concept. The man asked, Hey, there's water here. What keeps me from getting baptized? If you do not have, if you do have an NIV or other verses of the, of the Bible, you're gonna, not going to read this next verse. It's going to skip on to verse number 38. The guy says, I want to get baptized. And here's what it says in verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. He said, I want to get baptized. And he said, okay, stop. Let's get baptized. But that's not the truth of the story. Look at verse 37 and tell me if that's important. Verse 37. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest get baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said, before you get baptized, you need to be saved. You need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you're saved. By the way, is that important? If someone walked down this morning, they said, you know what? I want to get baptized. People hopefully will get baptized this morning. And if you're saved, the next thing you ought to do after your salvation is get baptized. Quit putting it off. It's obedience to the Lord. It's identification with the Lord. You should do it. But here, if someone says this morning, I want to get baptized, I want to get up there and get baptized. Should we just say, well, there's the door. Go ahead. If you don't have all the Bible, that's what it sounds like. But we need to stop them and say, well, tell me, have you believed in your heart? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? And that's what this man had to do. And then the Bible says, and look at, at the rest of the verse. We'll make some applications and go home today. Verse number 38, after he had made his confession that he believed and asked the Lord to save him and said he put his faith in Christ. The Bible says in verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The Holy Spirit is very wise. He makes us know that both men went down into the water. Do you know why they went down to the water? So he could picture the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It would be much cheaper for us, rather than to filter the water continually, take care of these and put these water water, just to have a little thing we can sprinkle people on the head. But a little dab won't do you. Only those who know about Brill Cream can remember that right there. But you know why the Holy Spirit tells them they both went down? Do you think they walked into the water and he sprinkled them on the head and they walked out? No. They went into the water. By the way, Jesus was baptized very clear 
The Holy Spirit of God makes sure we know that Jesus and John the Baptist went down into the River Jordan. Do you know why? So he could accurately picture the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, he went down to the water with him. After the man got baptized, notice the emotion he, he experienced. Would you look at verse number 39? And uh, when they were come out of the water, the spirit of the Lord called away Philip. He sent Philip to another location. And the eunuch saw him no more, never got to see the man who led him to Christ or baptized him again. But he went on his way, how? Rejoicing. I tell you what, I, I, like, this, I like this passage of scripture. I'm looking forward to seeing it in heaven's cinema. I want to see this right here, don't you? I don't go to movies. I don't want to see things I shouldn't see or hear words I shouldn't hear and watch people take their clothes off and do whatever they're going to do. If you think that's okay, I, that's, that's up to your business, but I don't do that. I don't do that in my home. I don't do that at the movie theater. But I want to go to the movies in heaven <laughs> where I can see Moses and splitting of the Red Sea. I want to see some of these things. Joshua's and the wall come down, the feet of the 5,000. But I want to see this particular thing. But there's wonderful lessons we can learn about. We can learn about Jesus and the early church. If I had time, I'd love to take your thoughts. Because some of you, your wills are turning. Some of you, your eyes are going back in your head, and it's just uh, you need some food, don't you? you know, some people talk in their sleep. Pastors talk in other people's sleep. <laughs> some of you, you're, you didn't even hear that. You're still sleeping. However, as we think about this passage of Scripture, we think about the, the, the lessons. What can we learn about this? I think we learn that God is willing to use surrendered and sensitive men and women of God. Philip was not the pastor. He was not an apostle. He was a servant. He was a deacon. A deacon is somebody who he was asked and acquired by the church to serve widows to give people food, to mow their grass, to fix their door, to help them in the daily ministration. But I love the fact that he was sensitive. He was a sensitive, surrendered servant. Are you that? Are you surrendered? Can the Spirit of God trust you to reach into your purse or your pocket, pull out a gospel track and give it to somebody? If he did prompt you, would you give it? Is the Holy Spirit asking you to consider driving a bus so hundreds of people can go to church every week? Three of our men got their driver's license this week to drive a bus. I wish there were three more this week. One of my bus captains came to me yesterday and said, Pastor, I really got to find a driver. I know it's in Chicago, but I need a driver. I've got too many people, and sometimes we have to leave them on the street corner because they can't find a driver. That's terrible. Is the Spirit of God prompting you to do something about that? Is he prompting you to teach the Word of God? To pray for your neighbor? To get a burden for your co-worker? The Spirit of God is looking. He's working. See, Philip didn't know about this guy going across the North African highway, but the Holy Spirit knew. I guess he could have got anybody to chase that chariot down, but he, he got a surrender sensitive servant. Could he come get me? Could he come get you? There are things going on right now in our community and in the sphere of your influence. There are people just like this man who is as empty as he can be. I talked to a man this week. I said, tell me, what did God do to bring you to Christ? Because I was 24 years old. 
I had been raised in church, but I never got accepted the Christ of the church. I never accepted the Lord as my Savior. I had an outward profession, but I had no inward possession. I was lost as a goose in a hailstorm. Finally, I got really aggravating trying to be a Christian when you weren't a Christian. So I left all that stuff, and I went out and lived like an idiot. I was 24 years old. God began to strike my heart with fear. Some people get saved because of compassion. Some people get saved because of fear. So I started getting nervous. And I meandered on a Bible, and I read that Bible through eight months it took me to read that Bible. I spent a lot of time reading it. The more I read it, the more I realized what I was told as a child I needed to accept personally as an adult. Because if I would have died before that, I would have split hell wide open. Finally, after eight months of a battle going on inside of me, I got on my knees and I asked God to forgive my sin to save me. Then I followed the Lord in believer's baptism after I got saved. He said, boy, that was the best day of my life. You know, somebody's working. I remember years ago, I was um, here in Chicago, and I was with a friend of mine named Mark. He was from Maryland. We were walking on 43rd Street uh, on, in Union in, in Chicago. I was making some bus calls. I was walking down the road, and I... And uh, it felt like the Holy Spirit, I had prayed all week that God would give me the right people to see, but I felt like the Holy Spirit almost said, go in that door. I thought, oh, okay. I went to the door. My friend Mark was, didn't pay attention. He was walking halfway down the block talking to me, and I wasn't even there. I said, Mark! He said, what? I said, let's go, let's go, let's go here. I knocked on the first door. No one came. I went up to the top, second floor. I said, I don't know. I feel like God wants to talk him here. I knocked on the door. And a redheaded man named Bill opened the door. I said, my name is John. This is Mark. We're from First Baptist Church of Ham. He said, thank you so much. Come on in. I said, what? He said, please come. I said, oh, okay. He said to his girlfriend, Fran, move things off the bed and let them sit there. Let them sit right there. Fran moved the stuff, and there was two little kids there. She was pregnant with her third child. And uh, I said, to Bill. I said, okay, what can I do? He said, well, can you go ahead and explain to me the Bible? I said, okay. And so I went to the Bible, and I started going through. You're a sinner. You deserve hell. Only Jesus can save you. Went through the gospel. I said, well, Phil, Bill, if, friend, if Jesus wouldn't accept you, would you be willing to accept him? He said, yes. I said, okay, well, let's get saved. And they both called out to the Lord and accepted Jesus as Savior. After it was done, I said, okay, I need some explanation. What is going on here? He said, Pastor, he said, we're a mess. He said, we're not married. We're expecting our third child. He said, I'm working here in Chicago, but he said, I'm not from here, but we're here, and we're just so empty and miserable. So Fran and I got down beside the bed, right where you're sitting, and we said, God, we don't know what church to go to. We don't go to church. We don't know where to, what to do, what to turn to. We know that you're out there, but we don't know the truth. Would you send somebody to tell us the truth? He said, then you knocked on the door. Can you imagine that? There are people waiting in your life with a similar story. The problem is not with God bringing, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us and us obeying the Holy Spirit. Many of us, we haven't witnessed anybody in a long time. It's not the gospel's fault. Not because people aren't saved, because we're not sensitive. We're not surrendered. And also it shows me that God loves the individual. He wanted lots of Samaritans to get saved, and they were. 
But he was willing to leave that guy to go out to a desert to witness to one who would eventually take the gospel into Africa. And we don't know what happened after that. We'll find that out in heaven. That guy went on his way rejoicing. I can't help but think he couldn't stop talking about what happened to him on the road to North Africa. God's working. Are you working with him? Are you working against him? Are you apathetic? Are you just like, I've been there and I've done that. I bought the t-shirts. I paid God off. I just wait to see him. Are you saying, no, no, no. I want to be a surrendered, sensitive servant to work with God in getting the gospel to somebody else. Then if you've been saved, the next thing you need to do is want to get baptized. And if you want to get baptized, God put that in there. The devil wouldn't tell you to do that. Then you've got to get baptized after you believe and receive Jesus. Then all of us ought to be faithful to help others do the same thing. Let's pray together, can we?